0: Broadcasting worldwide from the Toad Suck Studio in beautiful central Arkansas, you are listening to Bad Choices and Bourbon. My name is Dan Decker, your host at D-A-N-D-E-C-K-R on Twitter, and with me today broadcasting out of sunny California, uh, editor emeritus of Macworld Magazine, purveyor of Apple commentary and news uh, from sixcolors.com, uh, tech and Apple overall at upgrade.fm, and the juggernaut behind the incomparable pop- podcast network which covers literally everything that a, a nerd could want how are you jason snell
1: i'm doing great uh just a correction it is uh june in the bay area and therefore uh, not sunny but in fact uh, foggy and windy and uh freaking freezing so oh see yeah that's but otherwise right. you, you know
0: you're in the part of california where it's not always hot
1: no it's it's often not hot in fact so as (laughs) as somebody who grew up i grew up in a small town up in the sierra nevada foothills near yosemite and our summers were proper summers and our winters were kind of proper winters and um living in the bay area is very strange because all of that gets flattened out and you end up with this enormous uh foggy uh summer effect where it's summer somewhere out there if i drove for about 25 minutes i could find it but right here by the bay it's not it's we're in never summer here
0: (laughs) it is uh well arkansas's weather is uh you know changes by the hour it was raining today very windy um and that was kind of nice you know uh but it's always beautiful no matter what unless it's a tornado so
1: (laughs) yeah yeah i was it's funny not to go off on weather but i do like talking about it uh a friend of mine who lives in illinois was commenting today about how he took a walk and there were like trees down and all this stuff. And he says, it's not that bad though. Cause like five miles over the, there was a tornado and it you know, tore people's roofs and that. And I thought <laughs> that's the thing about natural disasters is that you are kind of inured to the disaster of where you live. And then you look at everybody else's natural disasters with horror. Cause I look at that and I think, Oh my God, tornadoes. Yeah. Whereas he looks at me and says, Oh my God, earthquakes. Right. And it's just like, yeah, the earthquakes. I'm like, yeah, okay, it's a fact of life. But but like a storm that tears your roof off, like what? What? It's just where you live and, and what you have to put in your brain as the potential disaster that could befall you.
0: It's true. It's true. Well, having lived in Arkansas my whole life, I've never been in a tornado, uh, but I've seen a lot of the aftermath and it really is, uh, you know, the proximity to it that, uh, you know, how close, how close were you to losing your roof? And fortunately, well, you know, for me, at least uh, the geography of this, the town that I am in is such that it breaks up that, that uh, kind of a system. And then it, once it passes over us, it gets to the reform because we're just down in a valley uh near the river and so there's there's slopes around us which this you're in a low point you got to go
1: to the low point when there's that's what i hear
0: yep and get in the bathtub go to the low point get in the bathtub
1: (laughs) yeah low point
0: huddle in the hallway here
1: (laughs) that's all i know i went to a baseball game in denver and they have at the stadium there they've got tornado shelters and i thought like wow okay uh but here here we learn to go in the door a door frame during an mm-hmm. earthquake, you go in the dark. That's also a frame good. That's a stable. good
0: earthquake procedure. Is is typically yep. good uh, uh, tornado procedure. That is oh, true. Yeah. So you did grow up in California, then? That was going to be a question I asked.
1: I did rural Northern California. When I, um, in fact, I met some people when I was on like a bulletin board uh, system in the olden days before there was an internet. Uh, there were people from other parts of the country who'd be like, "Oh, so you go surfing? You go to the beach?" And like, I'm a hundred miles from the ocean. I'm not <laughs> anywhere near. Water. I grew up in rural northern California, a place called Sonora, which is in the it's actually in the gold rush, the historic gold rush country, which is the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains. Um, One of the biggest mining towns was uh, actually where I went to elementary school in Columbia. And that is actually a state historic park now. So you can actually go and walk through. They've they've kind of maintained as much as possible uh, a couple of blocks of this this gold rush era town complete with like you can get your sarsaparilla and there's a like a stagecoach you can ride and like it's a whole kind of tourist thing run by the state of california and so that's where i grew up and and we had we were literally a one stoplight town (laughs) <laughs> they have more many more stoplights now. But when I was a kid, you would navigate like where where is that in downtown Sonora? And you would say it's like just on the other side of the light, or you make it right at the light, or like it's just before the light, because there was only the one light. Mm-hmm. That was the traffic light, and that was just the light, and that's how it was. So uh yeah, small. Um two two high schools in the whole county, and ours was the larger one. There was one up in the mountains, but the one down where we were. Um, you know, so yeah relatively small region small town growing up the closest bookstore was in and shopping mall and department store and all that stuff was an hour away in modesto mm-hmm. down in the valley i can relate and then, to that. and the closest college was i guess it was in turlock uh mm-hmm. which is you know 40 minutes away now it would be I think that is still the closest. Now there's a UC campus out in Merced. So that's kind of close too, but like it was, it was kind of out of, out in the middle of nowhere in an era where you couldn't get everything online and be connected in that way. So it was definitely a very different, like we had 45 acres with barns and cows and stuff. So that was my, I don't go camping now. And one of the reasons I think is because I have, I find no very little novelty value in it because (laughs) I grew up out in the middle of nowhere where there was nothing and you could just wander around on the hills. And yeah, I mean, really that was, that was what it was. So, um, so that was, yeah. Yeah. So California, definitely California native, but um, not the kind that you'd expect. Um, and so even though I was from Northern California, you know, San Francisco was where you went to go like on a flight on like a cross country flight or something, you would go to SFO, but, uh, or you'd go to, you know, visit San Francisco for some other reason or the Bay area, we would go to Cal football games in Berkeley on the two and a half hour drive to get there to go to a football game and then two and a half hours home after it was over. So like, yeah, so adjacent to the Bay area, but you know not our tv stations were out of sacramento like we, i was so i ended up in the bay area but it's not like i've I, I guess i lived in northern california my whole life but it was a very different first 18 years of my life um and then i went to college in san diego and then came back and then I, I went to berkeley and and was in the bay area after for grad school after i was in college in san diego so sort of rural northern california four years in southern california and then back to the bay after that.
0: I couldn't oh. hear what you said. Oh, thanks, Siri. <laughs> thanks. Good <laughs> oh, stuff. Oh, now mine's going to pipe up. Are you kidding me? Okay. Yep. <laughs> that's the, that's, you know, that's one of the things, Apple, uh, definitely um, uh, when when two of us get together, Siri's going to probably pipe up at some point. It's going to happen. Along the way. Yeah. I may, have touched, I may uh... have
1: touched in the wrong place. I don't know. <laughs>
0: That happens. I uh, um, one of the things I was I can relate to that. I mean, you know, Arkansas obviously is a lot smaller in California, but that small town uh, one stoplight experience. The um, when you you know when you used to give someone your phone number, you only had to give them the last
1: four digits because everybody had the same prefix. I remember it was a big deal when they added another prefix. We were five three two, and they added five three three, and it's like whoa, what's going to happen now? So yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, for me it was uh, we, we if if you had to give someone your the the three digits to make a seven digit phone number, that meant they were on the mountain. Because which is Petty G Mountain, which is a state park, just just uh, north of where I grew up, but they had to tell you that because it wasn't you know three five four it right Whatever's on the mountain, and I can never remember that. But today it doesn't even what is it, what even is that what is what even is long distance these days? You know?
1: Yeah, oh yeah, that was I I there was talking about uh, old computer bulletin boards and stuff. There was one that I called a lot that was in Modesto, and you know that was a long distance charge, and th- that was actually yeah. the worst. The worst long distance. It, there was a period there where it was actually cheaper to call across the country than it was to call in your local in your region because mm-hmm. that was like the super expensive long distance for some reason so like calling the bay area or calling even the central valley was super expensive per minute whereas calling you know pennsylvania was not where my grandmother lived was not a an issue at all
0: that and see and that is one of the things that just can trying to explain that to someone who didn't live through it you know I, I went down a rabbit hole with someone at work uh, one time about the you know the swoof uh, in the Sprint logo because it's the pin drop. And oh, I yeah. had to explain why that was their logo. Well, I didn't Hyperoptic have to, but... optic
1: Yeah, network. we went down
0: that, you know, and you could hear a pin drop. And when they dropped the pin, it made the little thing. And now that's their logo. And the, the kid was just looking well, at me like...
1: <laughs> I saw a thing on Twitter the other day that was... Oh, I think it was Cable Sasser, who's a software developer in Portland. Oh, I love Portland. Yeah, he's good. And good he a hardware developer now too. Um, Uh He posted a thing. It was like a catalog of this company that made phones. And it's like, people don't remember. And I was a kid when this happened, but like, there was a period where the, your phone was owned by the phone company and there Mm -hmm. was only like the one model. Mm -hmm. And then there was a deregulation moment where suddenly other people could make phones. And then everybody was making these, these accorded you know, attach it, phones uh they and that was like revolutionary and and you know we didn't have touchstone phone for the longest time it was just the rotary dial phones and all that stuff so so yeah that 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 part of it you know you never know when you're a kid you know that your parents say oh in the olden days it was like this and you're like roll your eyes but it is really quite breathtaking to have have to witness the stuff that you had growing up become not just replaced because that's natural it's like yes yes replace it with something better that's good but to go long enough that people look back on it and either don't understand it or can't believe that it was like that and that that a lot of that stuff is really where I feel that is like the phone company and and communication stuff in general was so much more primitive in that era than it is today and that's just it's it's funny to to view that from the other side I actually remember. Uh, Arthur C. Clarke, the science fiction writer, did, uh, predicted a lot of things, actually predicted geosynchronous communication sa- satellites. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I remember when I was a kid or like maybe a teenager um, reading about one of his predictions, which was that um, all long distance charges would disappear and eventually mm-hmm. all communication any to anyone in the world would be completely free. And or at least free, other than like whatever your cost was to access it. And I thought, wow, you know, basically, How? I F- hope I live it. to see that day. But I'm not sure <laughs> that'll ever come. And of course, you know, the internet is essentially what made it happen. And now yeah. um, th- there and is here no meter you, you know, yeah. Oh yeah, a I can. in different fi-
0: context than we would have. You know.
1: Yeah, I can FaceTime with my friend in Scotland or in 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 London. And like, it's, it's just covered. It's the internet. Like it doesn't matter what that is. And so Arthur C. Clark, he was right again, but try to explain that to somebody who's explaining that you have to dial an 800 number and put in a code so that you can use sprint and talk, uh, for $6 an hour, which was an amazing deal to yeah. only be charged $6 to talk to your, um, your grandmother for an hour.
0: For a whole hour. Right. And, yeah. and, uh, I was thinking about that, and you can appreciate this because um, you lived it too. Uh, I, I had a guest on the show previously, uh, Oleg um, who was born uh, in Soviet russia uh, he 's lived in Moscow as pretty much his entire life, so when he was born, it was the Soviet Union mm-hmm. and you know we both remember you know i 'm a little bit older than he is, but we both remember the disillusion of the Soviet Union and everything like that. And just thinking back to, you know, the Cold War kid kid that I was in the 80s, uh, you know, 83, 84, 8, 9, 10 years old, um, and just that constant wake up and living in fear of nuclear annihilation. You couldn't have told that child that in, you know, 30 odd years you would be talking to someone who was born in the Soviet Union for free over the Internet about Star Trek. You know, and it that well, really maybe it the home Star me.
1: Trek part, yeah, <laughs> but the rest of it, I don't know. Yeah, I uh, do a game show occasionally on uh, the incomparable that is based on the original Trivial Pursuit box, mm-hmm. which is from 1982. Oh, and wow. it, that is a real lesson in how much the world has changed in 40 years because, you know, in that box, the Soviet Union still exists and St. Petersburg is still Leningrad. And there's a West Germany and an yeah. East Germany, yeah. and you know the list goes on. And it's just a it's an interesting reminder of I was in college when the Soviet Union broke up and and uh, all those Eastern European states declared independence, and um and it, it's it was quite a thing to be kind of doing a a, a class that was covering the revolutions of the 18th century <laughs> while all these revolutions were happening in in Eastern Europe. And there was that sense of like, well, this is history. This is a big thing that's happening in the world. is is quite dramatically different in some ways, um, especially if you live in those places.
0: Absolutely. And, uh, and now, you know, through all through that too, not only do I have, I met uh, a little bit, several friends who are, you know, in former parts of the Soviet Union, a friend in Ukraine and so on and so forth. And it's just kind of, uh, you know, remembering also the time when the internet made noise <laughs> compared well, to you know this i sent oh, you yeah. an email link and here we are
1: yeah and speaking of uh star trek actually uh, my friend Andrzej uh tomic is in slovenia right which didn't exist back then it was yugoslavia just mm-hmm. and they and then they had to go through the very difficult breakup of yugoslavia and there were wars and there were terrible things but yeah i just talked to andre about star trek and it's it's great That's like, what you do and it's uh, all fine yeah and,
0: uh, and and that's that's the thing. Uh, the interesting uh, coincidence yesterday, I watched a, a couple of YouTube videos about the Yugo, and uh, and what a wonderful product that was.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> the car. Do you remember the Yugo?
1: Oh, I do. In fact, uh, I remember. Yeah, I re- I remember seeing them and how oh, terrible they were. Although that was really my an era of had ter- one,
0: and it was awful. There
1: were there was an era of terrible cars there too, because that was the when we were on our honeymoon. Um, we went, and this was 1994, um, we were in, on Maui and we decided to drive up to the top of uh, Haleakala, the volcano that's on Maui. And um, one of the, well, our rental car was a Geo Metro, oh, which is what I would like to call the American Yugo. Mm-hmm. And that was amazing to to like, you got your foot all the way on the floor and it is really trying to climb that mountain it had and cylinders. not doing a very good job. But it was one of the weirdest it wasn't harrowing quite cuz we were going way too slow for it to be harrowing but it was definitely that moment of like oh this car is terrible. Mm-hmm, <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, it uh they only had 3 cylinders so they were woefully underpowered. Yeah. Um yep. I drove well I I co-drove one down to Louisiana New
1: Orleans one year
0: about that same time about 94 to uh go see Pearl Jam. So that was But it cool. was cheap. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was cheap, cheap. Like gas. the Yugo
1: and yeah. the Trabant from East Germany like those were cars that were designed to be affordable and they weren't very good and that was but all they were. they were designed to be <laughs> that's literally it yeah like all and i, I like i get it. it like you gotta have, you gotta have a car but there is a, a basic standard of quality that maybe they didn't meet
0: yeah so, um, of course, Star Trek's going to come up anytime. Uh, hmm. it, it, this is not ostensibly a Star Trek podcast, but it always happens. Sure. Right. <laughs> um, but, Keep you know, telling I, yourself that. Yeah, exactly, right? That's just what happens. <laughs> it's fine. It's no big deal. No, it all um, comes
1: back to Star Trek. The, I mean, for me, too. So I get it.
0: Oh, I'm obligated. Uh, my, my co-host told me I'm obligated to no, no fewer than three Star Trek references on every Superman podcast. So, you know, it's got to happen.
1: Um it's I, I, I do I bring up Star Trek and Doctor Who podcasts too sometimes so it's all fair. Well, it's all like, connected, you know. It is. It is all connected. It's all connected.
0: And uh well that's uh, that's something uh, you know I know this about you but the listeners don't. Uh, Star Trek has just been kind of like the background radiation of your entire life, hasn't it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yep, that I am one of those kids so I was born in 1970 and Star Trek went into syndication, it was canceled in uh 69. For those who don't know that literally the last episode it was a rerun but the last episode of star trek that i believe nbc ever aired in prime time was the week before the moon landing like mm-hmm. talk about like the time that you should not cancel your spaceship show <laughs> is when the moon landing is about to happen like right. uh, leaving aside the quality problems in the third year of the original series and all of that and there are some books out there that you could read um, these are the voyages that detail that it really John or Gene Roddenberry really just kind of shot himself in the foot with Star Trek. He made so many demands that NBC decided to cancel that show um, just because they didn't want to deal with him. And otherwise the ratings kind of suggested they should have done another season, but he, you know, he took his hand off the wheel, the quality dropped, he was nothing but a problem. And they just decided to dump him. And so this story about like the NBC didn't understand it. I think that's, that's not true. And the real history is the Gene Roddenberry, um, started to believe his own pr and wanted to branch out and make other tv shows and build an empire and took his hand off the wheel of the actual show and drove his egomania drove a bunch of people out of the staff who should have been in charge of the show and so the quality dropped and it's this whole story but i lay it at the foot of gene roddenberry sorry to fans of gene roddenberry <laughs> but he was a human being and he was flawed and he had yeah. he had a bunch of problems so then they put it in syndication and that's where it became a cult hit um it was already Um, it was already, I think one of the highest rated shows for young people in an era where demographics didn't matter. If you were like up to 25, it was like one of the top five shows on TV. So again, in any other circumstance, it actually would have been seen as a hit at the time and not as a weird cult hit that happened later. It was already primed, but like in those early seventies years, they put it on strip syndication five nights a week on TV shows all around the country. And it, and they ran those 78, whatever hours into the ground. They just been on endless repeat. And as a kid, it was on, for me, it was on channel two out of Oakland, which we got uh, perfectly. It was, it was, we had a big antenna on a barn behind our house and we got mostly the show, the channels from Sacramento, but we got a few channels from the Bay area and the clearest of those was channel two. And at 5 p.m. every weeknight, they showed Star Trek. And I can't remember when I first saw it, because my memory doesn't go back that far i it was beaming into my brain from when i was i don't know four or five years old i do distinctly yeah i do distinctly remember playing star trek on the playground in first grade so it was not and that would have been like 1976 or something so it was not uh it was there from the very beginning. I don't remember just like how all my, all my friends who are 10 years um, younger than me don't remember life before star Wars. Yeah. Um, and whereas I remember star Wars coming out um, and feeling really bad. Cause everybody was like, Oh, I love star Wars. And I'm like, but, but I love star Trek. What is wrong with you? I love yeah. star Wars too. But <laughs> yeah. um, the, but uh, for me, that star Trek is that it was, it was always there. I can't remember it not being there. And it was a foreign like, I literally watched every single episode an hour a day every weekday for the first I don't even know how long five mm-hmm. seven eight nine ten years of my life the from when I was like old enough to watch television until I don't even know when I stopped watching it regularly um it just it 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 sustained me and formed me at a young age for sure.
0: Oh yeah. And I I mean, very similar. uh, There are, I've, I've come to know there are two experiences. There are the, it's always been there. I can't tell you when, and the, Oh no, I can remember the exact moment that I started watching Star Trek. And it's, uh, it's so, you know, there's not a lot of in between and I don't guess there's kind of any room for that, but for me, um, you know, I can remember uh, the first episode that I paid attention to and retained something of it was devil in the dark um, mm. which kind of you know challenged me to uh, realize that sentience doesn't require a humanoid form I thought that was kind of a cool lesson I was five or six years old at the time, so.
1: Yeah, and I don't even have that. Like, it's just, wall like, obviously, I already had seen them. By the time I have memory of seeing them again, I had already seen them. And so it's just like wallpaper. Like, it was always there. I was always, I, I do think, though, that what's interesting when you're exposed to something that young is that as you're, not only does it affect you, but your growth also is reflected back on the thing. So as you grow and change your, the way you interpret it changes. And I think as a, as a, that's not just as an adult and as a kid, but literally like when you're five and when you're seven and when you're 10, Every literally, I think even every cycle through you get something more out of it because you know what to expect, but you're also, your brain has developed more and you've Mm -hmm. had more life experience. And so, um, you know, that, that's also part of, revisiting those episodes now I come I find things in them that I didn't appreciate when I was a kid but I think at the time you know you're a sponge you know just soaking up everything that's in there but also your brain keeps changing and you notice different things every time and I think that's absolutely true but I don't have any memory specifically of of like discovering my discoveries of Star Trek are things like uh channel two showed the menagerie as their eight o'clock movie one time and so they ran it back to back so you got to see the whole two-hour thing the one two-parter oh. um, and i remember that very clearly that they that they did that i remember when the animated star trek series got strips syndicated and saw because i had this moment of like wait there's a cartoon of star trek because i never saw it when it was on i was too young i think when it was on on saturday mornings but when they they syndicated that briefly when I was like eight or nine and I couldn't believe what I was seeing that there was literally that there was more star Trek. And then I remember at some point I found a a star Trek book or two. And that was when I really realized that this was not just because another thing that I think people don't know about what life was like back then is that um, there was no sense that, that there were thousands or millions of people like you in that era. So like I literally didn't understand that anyone else liked star Trek. Like, literally, I thought I was perhaps the only person who liked Star Trek. And uh, I certainly a, didn't a know that there was fandom, too. right? Like, and you find a friend who likes it, and then that was really great. But, like, there was no concept of fandom. So when the when I got on uh, Star Trek, I think, a, like, a adaptation, like James Blish's, uh, I think it was an animated series adaptation, Star Trek Log 3 or whatever, Um, I couldn't believe that. And then eventually I got this book that turns out that it was, it was kind of out of the fan fiction community, which was the new voyages, which was a short story anthology. And that, so it's original short stories, new Star Trek stories in written form. And that blew my mind because like the idea that there were new Star Trek stories to tell. Um, the, 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 idea that the, that people were writing these things and that, that you could read about Star Trek and that, that kind of opened up my fandom in a way that I, that I hadn't experienced before then. And, you know, it's all very, very different now, but it was much more isolated back then. So it took a long time for me to really understand. Um, then, you you know, you get to college and suddenly you have a common bond with all these people who did the same thing you did and yeah. also felt alone about it. So,
0: yeah. And that's helpful too, because, well, one of the things, you know, uh, and even then too you you were for myself at least i always like cautioned about how big of a star trek star wars fan that i was how much i actually knew about it i was very um you know reserved in sharing that experience with people because you you didn't want to. You didn't want to get lumped in with the people who were in the Saturday Night Live skit. You know, you didn't want to come off to your to, to folks as that person um, because, yeah. like, you know, it would ostracize you even more. And you yeah. already felt alone.
1: Nerd, nerd culture is not a thing that really existed back then. It was really like now. It is part of the culture. Yeah, and it's you. You could argue that it's kind of cool. And people say, "Oh, well, well, it's really not cool." But I'll say, "What's the biggest?" thing what is the single most revolutionary thing to happen to the movie industry let's say in the last decade or you could really argue since the blockbuster was created in the late 70s the answer is the marvel movies and if you don't if if you hate marvel movies and you don't care then good for you i guess but like literally everybody went crazy for comic book movies And that is the ultimate ascendance and, and, and star Wars, like it's the ultimate ascendance of, of nerd culture for this stuff. But back then, yes, it's absolutely true. I, when I went on to off to college, I had tried to put away all of that kind of like identifier stuff of, I love star Trek and Dr. Who and stuff like that. I tried to like play it cool And even in high school, I would try to kind of push it away, even though, you know, I don't think it worked, but I I tried to push that push that down as much as possible, um, which is not something that, you know, and I came back to it all. And in fact, actually, so Next Generation, this was a real a real turning point for me, since we're talking about Star Trek and life and things like that. Um, Next Generation premiered my senior year in high school um so i go off to college and it's season two of star trek the next generation and we don't have cable tv in the dorms or something but you can have rabbit ears i had a little tiny tv and rabbit ears and what i discovered even my freshman year but then throughout the four years i was in san diego is that that was the show of my college years like if you if you're like what is the show the tv show was there a tv show that was hot that bonded college students together. Like there are stories about the original series doing that Mm -hmm. back in the sixties. The answer is it was star Trek, the next generation people got together to watch next generation. And so that was a revelation because suddenly my love of star Trek was not something that was putting me on the outs socially, but actually was part of the social fabric of going to college. Um, And then the other very important thing that happened in that moment was Um, There were as many women as men who wanted to watch it. And I had also never thought that women or girls were interested in in that stuff and that that I just needed to because it was a very male only. And this is still a problem today, but not like it was back then in terms of it being uh, so gendered that it was just like it's for boys uh, girls should get something else, and that it's an all male space, and we don't want the girls there. And if a girl comes in, she's weird, and we need to ostracize her or whatever. And like all of a sudden, I'm in college, and these women I know are all like super into Next Generation. And some of that was maybe that they always were interested in it, but I think some of it was also that that was a cool show that people were really into in college, and it gave them permission uh without judgment to like it. But yeah. um, that was transformative for me in in understanding that not only was this a, a good place to be in and not a place to avoid, but that it was also not a boys only space, uh, which I thought was a really important lesson to learn. And then I have so many fond memories of like going over to somebody's college apartment to watch the deep space nine premiere, the first episode of deep space nine. We had like a, there was like a party the equivalent and of it a watch was, party
0: right yeah and
1: it was like yeah and it was like mostly women and there were a few guys there and they were like super into the watching the new star trek show so like that became star trek was um for people of a certain age like star trek was the college show and it was on so long that it covers actually a lot of ground from the beginning of tng all the way to the end of voyager and enterprise yeah. but uh i feel like i hit it like the whole like Borg, well, best the of both spot. worlds and all yeah. of that. Like that yeah. was all like that Borg cliffhanger happened oh. as we were in finals week. And then we came Children back know the and the pain of that summer and the premiere. <laughs> so, yeah, I went home for the summer and we're like, Mr. War of Fire, what's going to happen? But like that was everybody was talking about it. Um, it was so that was a, a very magical kind of experience. And that really kind of turned me around on all that stuff that, like you said, you kind of were like downplay. Uh, then, then I got that moment where I'm like, oh, this is, uh, that for Star Trek anyway, that's, that's definitely what brought me back to it. I, I, I didn't go back to Dr. Who, which I discovered in high school until 2005 when they rebooted it. um, and, And that helped a lot because that was a much more accessible version of it.
0: It is. Well, and I, you know, a couple of things uh, to take out of that. So I was uh, I was a wee wee bit of 12 when TNG premiered, uh, but I did carry it through. Like you said, it ran so long that, you know, uh, it was still part of my college experience. And we had a all good things watch party. Um, yeah. You know, and and it was you know, there was the unspoken contract of, uh, you know, nobody. Mess with the VCR, uh, (laughs) new Star Trek will get recorded, and when we will all watch it together when we are all at home, nobody sneak a peek. So,
1: Uh, you
0: know, and it was, you know, there was there was a covenant there. Um, Do you remember uh, when
1: it aired? Where you were because it was a syndication. It aired at different times in different mm -hmm. places. Do you remember uh, when it aired? It would
0: air new episodes would air uh, 10 p.m. on Saturday, and the previous week's repeat would be 10 p.m. Sunday. um, All right, the CBS affiliate.
1: So Saturday. That was the traditional thing. I think it was on at seven in in uh, in San Diego and in Sacramento. It was on at 7 p.m. on Saturday. And I went to college and then we discovered something really interesting, which was Channel 11 in L.A. showed it Wednesday night. And that became the kind of like the currency. That you would, if you had cable, especially, you would record it on Channel 11 in LA on Wednesday night, and then you could watch it like Thursday or Friday, and you'd still get it. With, like before anybody, I honestly think it was maybe an industry thing where like the people who made Star Trek wanted it like in LA before it was anywhere else or something. Sure. I don't know why Channel 11 in LA did that, but that was a moment where like where we we're like, oh wait a second, Star Trek is on, and it's, and uh, I was on, feel I was on the it. internet. At that point, and, and it was that moment of like, we get to see this before anyone else. It was pretty, yeah. pretty cool. But I, I definitely remember that because we would work at the, that was one of our deadline nights at my college newspaper. And so we would often, you know, you record on Thursday night, but you're up until two in the morning working on the paper. And then on Not Friday, Friday, you got your Star Trek game.
0: Well, that's, um, uh, I came into a similar phenomena when, uh, I lived in, um, a different, uh, town for a little while running a movie theater, managing a movie theater up there, which is another great place to get that before anyone else, uh, feeling when you can, (laughs) um, when you can, uh, you know, see the show the night before you like, Oh, especially and I, I worked there through the, um, through the, uh, uh, re-release of star Wars, the you know the twentieth anniversary editions, which are now right. thirty years ago. Uh, let's yep. not talk about yep. that.
1: 97. Uh, yeah,
0: ninety-seven. Yeah, oh, but the uh, the station. There were two stations up there that had it, and so but they were offset. So one station aired like wednesday and the other station aired on saturday and so i could watch it twice in yeah, the sure. same week and it was great and that was yep. that was through deep space nine uh, tng had ended then uh deep space nine premiered um the january uh before i graduated in 93 so that's it's and that's been one of my favorites of course it's
1: funny i i um one of the things that i appreciate about what cbs all access did and hopefully paramount plus will do this too is you know there was a simultaneous release i i um i wish it was not at midnight pacific time because that's unfortunate um because you end up getting a new episode of a tv show and you're like i have to work (laughs) and i cannot watch this until later and the internet is full of spoilers which i don't love i'm hope i don't understand why those services don't drop that stuff at like 8 p.m eastern or something like that because i think that at least for the american audience which most of them seem to be very focused on um having it available in prime time might might be a better deal because i do i do kind of miss that uh aspect of it but i do enjoy the fact that um, because that stuff's all released kind of weekly you everybody's reacting week by week and it just reminded me of that experience of, I love of when that. those star trek episodes aired
0: I love that about the new um you know i don't know these some folks these days just seem to be uh ready for all of the instant gratification and 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 you know consume how you want that's your that's your uh, prerogative that's totally once fine.
1: it's all there you can binge it right you can like binge it, yeah. you you can't you can't un but but i do think I am a firm believer in this that uh, a TV show, unless it's been built to be dropped in a binge, in which case it's really just a movie, but like I think TV shows should be released weekly. I like it. Um, because I think you need uh, you should have time to consider what you watched I think that one of the delights of watching tv is that you've got that week-to-week experience of thinking about what happened wondering about what is to come it allows you to talk about it with your friends that could be at work over the water cooler or whatever proverbially it could be on the internet but it allows you to have those kind of conversations about like well what happened what do we think of this and you know binge shows are great but like I don't know how to talk to people about them because if I've watched it all, do I know if they've watched it all Um, or or where are they in it? I do a lot of like, where are you in show X? I'm like, Oh, and then also sometimes they have these amazing standalone episodes or, or, you know, this is the one where this happens. Um, whereas if that was, if that was on a, on a weekly basis, everyone would talk about that one for a week, mm-hmm. but instead mm-hmm. it's in the middle of a big stack of eight hours of, sh- of show. And by the time people have reached the end of it, nobody even remembers which episode it was. And then it was really just part of a whole and you lose something. So I'm a real believer that you should, uh, that show should spin out weekly. And then when it's done, it's all bingeable. Like if you, yeah. if you want to watch it that way and for eternity, right? Like if you want to watch star Trek discovery, season four when it comes out this fall it will be weekly if you've never watched star Trek discovery before and you get paramount plus well guess what you've got three seasons to binge and enjoy them right because they've been there binging is forever but the weekly release i i i don't want to give that up i think you lose something uh in not being able to think about it and talk about it
0: well and you know it's it's just a i mean it's kind of well one it's the way things were done because that's how tv worked back then and it, But it had, you know, now that we're in this in this more serialized rather than episodic storytelling, too, it, it every episode is the potential cliffhanger, right? You can always huh? leave something more to be desired. And like you said, we get the chance in between to, you know, uh, then I know that I can go and I have a week to go watch my screen crushes and listen to the Biff cast about it and go and do these things. Exactly and 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 spin some wheels and get my theories going and appreciate the lore and have that opportunity not only that but you get the chance to see the care and attention and love that the creators
1: are putting into this product right um and you and, get to consider it right like even yeah. a movie is 2 hours long and then you walk away and you think about it but an 8 hour or 10 hour long season are you really giving it any, like, it, I guess you or can wash it over Joe you up
0: here, Well, you know? and
1: that's, and that's why, I mean, it's easy for me to say about go ahead and binge it. Cause I am a, I am the proprietor uh, of a concept that we worked on, on this podcast I used to do with Tim Goodman, who was a TV critic at the Hollywood reporter. Um, I called it the slow binge. And that's what I, I'm a big fan of is the slow binge, which is you get into a show and I'll watch like one usually episode a day. a day so if you think about back in the day where we watched things weekly um and you had all these different shows that are interleaved it's like i kind of like the slow binge because i remember everything that's going on mm-hmm. i remember who everybody is i i don't have like four weeks of reruns and then i come back to it but i also get a little bit of time to sort of pace myself and to think about it and so i find myself programming even with the slow binge, like I find myself programming my evenings entertainment. So like, we'll watch this comedy until we're done with it. And I'll slot in another comedy. And then we're watching like right now, as we record this, um, we're finishing Shadow and Bone on Netflix, and we're up to the last episode now. And that has been a slow binge with a couple of interruptions. But like, for the most part, this last week, like last night, we watched episode, we'll probably watch the last episode tonight. Like, I kind of like that. I like the idea that you, you don't have to if you want to binge it all in a weekend, that's great. But I, I prefer watching one or two at a time and letting them settle. Even if the next day I watch the next one, right? Like it's, it's kind of fun to watch 10 episodes in 10 days and you really get like super into it. And then it's gone, you know, and after it's gone, it's gone for a year, regardless of whether it drops in a binge or not. If you drop it over 13 weeks, there's less time before it comes back. If You drop it (laughs) in one day, you still have, you have to wait that whole year in order to see it again. So, I don't know. I'm I'm a I'm a fan of that. I love I love chewing over this stuff. I love thinking about it. I love theorizing. I love that fans theorize about it. I love that the it allows the creators to play with that, you know, cuz they want you to think about their show. So, so. they won't say yeah. it. Netflix has got a lot of money. So, nobody who's doing stuff on Netflix is going to decry the binge drop, but um and the other thing, if you're a TV creator, is that you get your marketing for the day that your show drops on Netflix, and then they never talk about it again until the next right. season. There's no That's ongoing. It. Whereas a ten-week a show, there's ten weeks ongoing of marketing for your show, where people can hear about it, go back and watch up to the current drop, and then pick it up weekly. It's a, a you know word of mouth is powerful, and and there mm-hmm. are definitely streaming shows that have built on word of mouth. I think even something like the Mandalorian, which comes in with all that star Wars baggage that like everybody's going to, Oh, it's a star Wars show. Also, I think you, as that spooled out, you got the really good word of mouth of like, Oh, that it's a really good show and it's a yeah. really good star Wars. And it's not like some of the star Wars you've seen lately and you should give it a try. And by the time we got to the end, I feel like everybody was into the Mandalorian and that wouldn't have happened if they just dumped eight hours of Mandalorian on you nope. on, and you wouldn't have been able to talk about like, there's the one that's so episodic too. It's like, that's the one where this happens and that's the one where this happens. And we got to have that moment uh, where we thought about that, that one 34 minute long episode where they're on the sand and Tatooine and there's a Jawa carrier and whatever, like that's, I, I think it's powerful. So yeah. um, more, more of that.
0: <laughs> I totally agree. And, um, you know, it, it, the slow binge is an idea, uh, and I may have subconsciously heard you mention it and picked up on it myself, but it, it is something that I've realized, especially as I'm older uh, and, you know, with
1: attention. Yeah, you issues. have things to do. You can't <laughs> yeah. actually just sit under a blanket all day on a Saturday and watch TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's too. So weird.
0: It's weird that. And uh, <laughs> But, you know, that plus subtitles helps me absorb it. In a way that a binge, like I've got friends who are all like, "You should watch The Expanse," and I'm like, I tried, and I realized, well, I tried by binging five hours in a row of a show that I'm not familiar oh, with.
1: Woof, that is, and that's, <laughs> yeah. a, and that, that, especially the first season. But that show is a, a it's a good example of a show that needs to breathe. It, it needs to breathe, and it doesn't hold your hand at all. It's actually mm-hmm. really. I think it may be a flaw of the show, although it gets better as the seasons go on that it really kind of aggressively doesn't want to explain what it's doing. and you just have to figure it out. and that is the worst kind of show to watch. And then it's got weird accents, right? And like, yeah, it, that's that's a very that's high difficulty level, even going week by week, let alone watching it in a binge, I can't even imagine. Yeah.
0: And, I, and that's it's when great, I realized but... I was like I zoned out and I was like, "Oh, this is I'm not doing any of us favors by uh I'm, yeah. you know, I'm making this feel like work." Uh and that's when it kind of dawned on me. It was like, "Well, it's brand new. The reason you can the reason you can have Trek on in the background for hours and hours over and again at the same time is it's because all it's all it's all familiar. You don't have to yeah. actually pay attention. You can glance over and be like, "Oh, yeah, no, no, no." And you know the next 15 minutes you don't have to actually mm-hmm. watch. With a new show, guess what?
1: You got <laughs> to pay attention.
0: You got to pay attention.
1: Yeah, um, and that's, I think there's truth in there too. If we're, if we're talking about like what's life in the streaming era, I think that you made a really good point there, which is there's different kind of watching. Yeah. And you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to tell anybody how to live their life, right? Like there's shows that are great for when you've got it on and you're sitting there looking at your iPad, right? And there are shows where you can't do that. And those are different kinds. Like there's different kinds of shows, different kinds of subject. We were watching the great British baking show last night. And I, (laughs) I was looking at my iPad, scanning Twitter and also paying attention to the baking. I was like, I I didn't need to watch that intensely. I know what that show is. And, and I think that, you know, when you go through, like my daughter went through every episode of the office, like 10 times and like, part of that is the comfort of the replay of it. And she knows what's going on and she's multitasking too. She's, she's mm-hmm. doing her homework and watching the office and, and that's a different kind of watching TV. And, um and so there's no right or wrong way uh, to watch this stuff. You
0: got to get it. How it works for you guys. the ultimate yeah. thing is enjoy what you're doing. If you're going to devote your most precious resource over to something, you may as well uh, enjoy yourself while and you know, if that is to slow binge or take it on the weekly basis or get it all in at once, however it works at the moment for you, that's you know, just enjoy yourself. Life's too short to to get mad about what you're watching. You know, you can always change it. Exactly. So, um a couple other things before we have to close it up. Um you are a writer for the most part, right?
1: Correct? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Really? I mean writer and editor by trade. Um in terms of I, when people ask me my occupation, I generally say journalist because that is something that is Probably easy everything. to understand. Yeah. I have to say that in the last maybe four years, I ha- I make more money from podcasting than writing at this point, which is very strange, mm-hmm. but that's where we are. Um, and so, yes, I am, you know, a writer and, and also a podcaster, but like by trying, I, I, worked in my college newspaper. I was the editor of my college newspaper. I went to journalism school. I worked a summer at my local newspaper up in the, uh, rural, uh, Sierra foothills. I worked in a magazine for 15, 20 years, uh, writing and editing there. And now I, you know, my writing is a a column on that site still. And, uh, and a blog that I run myself and write a bunch of stuff on. So I think of myself as a writer, even though it's a very weird thing where I actually make more of my living from talking than writing at this point. I guess it's like those, how those guys on ESPN must feel, you know, all those yeah. newspaper columnists who suddenly have a TV show on ESPN. It's a little like that. It's like, are you a writer? Or are you a columnist? And they're like, well, yeah, yeah. it got me in the door, but now I yeah. talk about it and they pay me. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: well, and that's, uh, so let me, I, I've often thought this now, were you working at Macworld in 1997 by chance?
1: Uh, was I working at Macworld? Well, 97 is actually when the great implosion happened and they merged Mac user, which is where I work from 94 to 97, uh, summer of 93, actually, through 97. Um, and then Macworld, I started in, in September of 97 because they merged okay. the two magazines together and laid off half the staff and I was one of the survivors. And so I, I started at Macworld in the fall of 97, right? Literally right when Steve Jobs took over and killed the clones and uh, put the company back on the upward trajectory. So you talk about uh, two publishing companies choosing the exact wrong moment to cut bait and get out of the Apple business. Uh, I'm sure they regretted it almost instantly, but it was too late to undo it at that point.
0: Well, that's... uh, So then the crossover event didn't happen in this universe. I have been (laughs) paid by Macworld to write something. I sent in one of those tips uh, you know, a sure. trick and tip and I got a $25 check. So
1: from, and that would have been like, oh, I forget who was writing that lawn pool or somebody like yeah, that. I would collect yeah. those in uh, his, his columns. Like
0: I probably kept the sub, but I would know, have yeah. no where, idea where it is now.
1: Uh, I, I found somebody. Oh, who was it? Um, Dan Frakes, who wrote, wrote for me for many, many years and works at Apple now. Um, I was doing research for a project I did last year about Apple history called 20 Max for 2020. And mm-hmm. I found a letter I found a letter that he wrote to Macworld that got published before he worked there uh, complaining about a, an award we gave to a product. And I sent it to him and I said, I had no idea you did this. And he said, I have no idea that that was published. He said, I, I, I remember writing an angry letter to Macworld, but I didn't ever notice that it got published. I'm like, well, here is your chance. And I think Dan Morin, who I write six colors with, I think he also got, a letter or something in it. it it's funny. It, it, they're definitely those stories that I hear about from time that to time. Um, well, you know, you were in the pages. Yeah. You were in the pages of, of macro before I was there. I was working for the distinguished competition at that point. We were the That's scrappy. So, well,
0: I was reading them all. So it doesn't really matter. You know, uh, I read uh, uh, the whole, the whole nine yards, all of it. Um, and, well, magazines, and, kids.
1: <laughs> magazines. So, well, I was going to say, I, I, i published started my junior year in college, I published an internet based magazine, like an online uh, before there was a web actually, so I had to publish it as like a post to use fanzine and, and, is
0: what they and, were called yeah.
1: yeah, well, this was a zine it wasn't a Just fanzine, a zine, really because it was a yeah, short zine. story magazine but yeah, and i actually like I won an award from the San Diego supercomputer Center for creative use of of uh of uh internet technology and stuff like that and So that was I when I started working at a magazine, a print magazine, it was mostly I say this story now about like I worked for a magazine for 20 years. And I don't I really don't want to come across as somebody who who was uh, really tied to print in an era where everything went to the Internet, because like I was already on the Internet before I got that job. The problem was there were no jobs doing all the media jobs were traditional media at that point. Mm -hmm. There was no non-traditional media yet. So I got that job at a magazine. And it was a good job. And I was really excited about it. And I immediately started saying we should have a website. They told me no, the future was on CompuServe. Ask <laughs> your parents what <laughs> CompuServe was kids. Um, and I was the first online editor that they had, and I spent basically a large portion of my career was being one of the youngest people on the staff trying to drag magazine workflows onto the internet. And that was, that was my experience as a magazine professional was I spent my, you know, the first 15 years of my career trying to get magazine people to understand the internet to varying degrees of of success over time. So, you know, I, I, I like to, people are like, Oh, you worked in magazines. I'm like, yeah, you know, I was actually publishing on the internet before there were, before there was a web and before I worked at a magazine. So I I was trying, I was trying, trying to bring that guy but it was hard. It was hard. You know, it was. Well, that is
0: uh, that's the curse of yeah. Gen X, Jason. You and I. Being oh man. Gen Xers. Is it's that, so true. Uh,
1: we bridge all those gaps.
0: Like, it's true. Um, at work, I that's like why to nobody tell, remembers us. Yeah. Well, that's at work. I tell the I tell the folks that I help. I said, you know, uh, I grew up with this. Like literally, we and technology grew up together. And yeah, you know, as long as you paid attention and you continue to do so, it's not that hard to keep up, kids. Uh, well,
1: somebody. <laughs> Um, asked me about like how I got started on the Mac uh, on a podcast I was on recently. And I said, it was my college newspaper. So I went to UC San Diego, the UCSD guardian. um, And I started as a, my, my, my sophomore year, I got a job as a typist. Let me explain friends what a typist is. So (laughs) I could type really fast. I taught myself how to type on an apple II. I type really fast. The guardian had switched to all Mac layout and and design, so you the the, the pages were laid out in PageMaker, um, and that means they all needed to be placed from a Microsoft Word file. And in the fall of 1989, uh, you won't believe this, but uh, people would write their stories on typewriters, or occasionally. I mean, if they had a Mac, they could bring in the disc and it was fine, but occasionally they would have a PC and they'd print it out on like dot matrix printer or like an Apple two or an IBM PC or something like that. I had an Apple II at that point too. Um, And you need to retype it. You need to type that article in, in order to put it in PageMaker. And so that was my first job at the college newspaper, was literally sitting in front of a Mac SE, running Microsoft Word, looking at a piece of paper and retyping it. And I can type like 120 words a minute. It was really good. But then what happened is I started editing the stories as I typed them in. And somebody realized this and said, well, wait, one, why is the typist... editing stories. And two, perhaps the typist should be an editor instead. <laughs> and I became the associate news editor, but, but my, so that is what got me into the Mac because we were using PageMaker and we spent hours just doing file transfer and layout. And, and that got me into the Mac in a way that i had never been before. And by the end of that year, I bought a Mac and I stopped using that Apple II and the rest is history. But what I like to say is if you, if you looked in 1991, let's say at the UCSD guardian, you would have found um, me as like the editor in chief and also running um, networking cables throughout the entire uh, office. Yeah, it was, it was local talk. So it's phone net connections. Uh, So like phone cords, but they carried the network and that allowed us to print from every computer in the office to the giant high-quality printer that we had instead of just the one computer that was attached to it. It allowed us to transfer transfer files over the network because we were using Sneakernet. We were putting things on floppies in order to walk them around the office. And, and I thought that kind of encapsulates my career in a nutshell, which is mm-hmm. I was working at my college newspaper and also kind of being the IT slash apple computer person at the college newspaper so of course i would end up writing about apple stuff mm-hmm. at a magazine for a living it kind of <laughs> was the perfect fusion and i'm i'm glad that i i managed to fall into it because it was right the right uh connection of of things for me
0: well, it's, uh, you know, college uh, is an interesting parallel. Now, the first Mac I ever used, we we acquired from Montgomery Ward or Monkey Ward, sure. if you're familiar. And, Ask your parents uh, about Montgomery yeah, Ward, kids. That's right. And uh, it was a Mac Plus. So it is, you know, of course, it is Star Trek related because it's a hello, computer.
1: Hello, computer.
0: That's right. And, uh, I have one in my shed. The last time I plugged it in, it still works because, uh, you know, they never die. Uh, but when I, I followed my uncle to college, so he's just a couple, three years older than me, um, which is just up the street at UCA Go Bears. And, uh, um, I, of course he was, he was working at the newspaper. That was his track. He was going to become a journalist. And uh, so he was already working at the echo. Uh, and you know, I'm just, Free labor because I'm going to go hang out with him and he's at the newspaper office. And so um, I ended up getting a credit in this in the masthead as a um, a gopher. So that was nice. Uh, But, you know, supporting all of those same things, you know, just following him around to to keep help him keep that stuff running, learning all about that stuff. And then parlayed that into a work study at the theater department. Which is what I was going to for, and built a uh, network for computer aided design out of Power Mac G threes and the Bondi Blue, Um, and like I said, laser printers using using local talk again. And uh, fast forward now, and I do what I do for the fruit stand. So
1: there you go. (laughs) It's all connected, man. Well, it's um, all connected. It's not. Yes, in hindsight, you look at it and you're like, oh yeah, that actually. I'm not surprised that's what. That's where I ended up. Yeah. What's what happened? Yeah. No, so with I, I a... went to a high school reunion and, and, and uh, the people said, what do you do? And I said, I, I am an editor at a magazine. And they're like, really, I thought you would be doing, you know, something with computers. And I'm like, well, it is a computer. It's a computer magazine, magazine but, <laughs> but I, I discovered that the people I went to high school with put me in this, in the computer bottle and not in the, journalism bottle. And I thought that was really funny because kind of interesting. that was not the bottle I was actually living in, but that's how they, <laughs> that's how they had filed me. But in the end, it all kind of worked out there. We were both right.
0: Well, um, uh, so you mentioned PageMaker. Uh, I had, I was going to have a couple of trivia <laughs> questions for you. Uh, so PageMaker or Express?
1: Uh, it was, it was Aldous PageMaker before yeah, it was right? even bought exactly. by Adobe. Right. Um, and I used it until they came out with InDesign I did that that internet magazine for years after I was done uh, with my college newspaper, and I just laid it out in PageMaker because I knew it, and then InDesign after that. So I, I we use Quark Express at MacWorld. Um, Mac user used PageMaker. Uh, those two, <laughs> two for two identical magazines, they were so different. Um, and so I used, I, I have used Quark Express. Uh, we did ultimately MacWorld moved to InDesign at some point in there. Um, so I've used Quark Express, but I have no feelings for it at all. I was, the, the, it was never uh an important tool in my life like page maker was so page maker
0: now uh favorite uh do you have a favorite mac historical or new
1: personal favorite favorite? mac my favorite uh, i mean my favorite mac of all time is the macbook air just inclusive because um i had the 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 first one was terrible but the the second one i think was the most influential laptop in in apple's history basically live the 11-inch macbook air Yeah, the wedge. I mean, the eleven and the thirteen both have that sort of the wedge design. It became wildly popular. It's really kind of redefined uh, what a laptop is. In fact, Apple struggles now with the fact that all of its laptops are kind of like the MacBook Air. They're kind of all a little bit too much the same. They're going to have to do something there. But I think that's probably my all-time favorite. I've got a a lot of fondness for a whole bunch of old Mac models. I think the most. I think the best physical industrial design of any Mac ever is the iMac G4, which is the one that's got the floating flat screen with the chrome Mm -hmm. neck. Um, I think that's a work of art. I I, Mm -hmm. I think it was impractical as a computer in the end, but it was a beautiful piece of art. But if I had like a a just straight up favorite, I would pick the MacBook air because it not only has it stood as the definitive Mac essentially for more than a decade, but I always had that 11 inch one and I loved it. And I wrote hundreds of thousands of words on it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh that's I I couldn't really argue against that other than the soft spot the plus holds in my heart as the first Mac I ever used. Um yeah. the air is yeah, undeniably I mean, what, what defines as an icon these days.
1: Yeah, my Mac SE, the same thing. Like if you ever had one of those compact Macs with that shape, um it's hard to not think of it with a great deal of fondness. But now um consider yeah. this, Jason.
0: Yeah. Um a a iPhone or an iOS icon, app icon, has a higher resolution than an original Mac display.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's where we are <laughs> now. Just that's just boggles my mind. Well, you can, my mind.
1: you can, there is on the internet, I think it's Macintosh.js, you can literally run an original Mac at full speed in emulation, and the emulation is entirely done in JavaScript. Which, so that'll long. tell you yeah. how far we've come. Which is just
0: a, a, like a self-inflicted torture that the author of that script put on themselves because man, to take that, that challenge in JavaScript, you just, you really want to do it that way.
1: Very impressive.
0: (laughs) Well, with that, sir, um, I just want to go ahead and say thank you for your time. We're going to have to bring things down to a close here. I know your time is precious and, uh, I just want to say thanks again for coming on the show. Is there anything you want to shout out to or say hey about before we go?
1: Uh, I'll just say, so, um, the com. We have the main show over there. Uh, it's a podcast network for those. you like this, you're listening to a podcast. We yeah. also, you got a, you got a shirt on from the network. It's great. Right. Uh, in addition to the main mothership, which is really just sort of a sampler of uh, geek culture stuff that I'm interested in across all sorts of different spans. We got a bunch of other shows over there, including, I do a, a podcast with Scott McNulty called Vulcan. Hello, which mm-hmm. does post episode, week by week uh, uh, recaps and reviews of new Star Trek. Um, and then there are a bunch of others. We're doing a Ted Lasso thing right now with, there's a, uh, you know, basically like if there's something that you're really into, there's a, there's a one for all the Star Wars shows that are on Disney plus like there, there's Biff, which is all about, superhero stuff there's one that's all about the mcu tv shows in specific like there's lots of great stuff over there if you're interested in this nerdy kind of conversation i think there's probably a podcast feed or two for you at the incomparable and then you can catch up with all my writings and tech computer stuff at SixColors.com. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you this about the incomparable, dear listeners. Uh, if uh, if my words are worth anything to you, it's one of the things that I choose to give money to each month. So,
1: <laughs> thank you very much. Yeah, we yeah, appreciate absolutely. it
0: absolutely because, uh, well, it's you know it's worth it to me. Uh, there's hours of endless entertainment, and it's all available for free.
1: Oh man! Uh, but I, 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 I <laughs> shudder to think of how much content there is on that site it's uh, it's, a, it's lot. a lot it's a it's lot. lot we've been doing the it for like 10 years is, now, ooh, so.
0: and then there's like 57 podcasts or something so yeah uh, it's well, I, it's
1: enough to keep you busy
0: <laughs> well i'll say um you know if you ever find yourself uh scraping the bottom of the barrel and you need a panelist on the incomparable you've got my email now hit me all up. right and uh, absolutely can talk about a bunch of nerd stuff all the time cool so that's great
1: All right. We have an unlimited amount of time to fill. So, you know, (laughs) there's
0: only, there's only the years ahead, right? (laughs) Um, Well, dear listener, I want to say thank you uh, for giving us your ears this week. Hope we earned them again for next week. And uh, if you would like to show your support for the show, you can do that by sharing this episode or previous episodes with your friends and family and just letting them know how much you've enjoyed uh, listening to that show. But if you really want to help out and uh, have the means to do so, you can, Send it over to patreon.com d-a-n-d-e-c-k-r, where you can get early access to every new episode for as little as $3. Uh, but otherwise, um, it will always be free and always be ad-free every Thursday for as long as that I can manage. And with that, I would like to say thank you and good night from the Toad Suck
1: Studio. The pot that I made for upgrade this morning. So right on. One more cup in me. That's Both why lunch. I- that's what Cup I get to tea. do later. Listen a to, tea, okay. Do a podcast and then I'm going to go for a run. And then that's the end of the day. Probably. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, I, uh, I won't record the video, but I'm recording on, um, all right. Uh, what's that? Audio hijack. So, yeah.
1: All right. That, that I am sense. too. I'll, I'll send you a local file. Right on. When we're done.
0: Well, first of all, I just want to say it's nice to meet you. Hi and a yeah, uh, <laughs> um, uh, Longtime fan, man. I've read a lot of your words, Thank heard you. a lot of your words and uh, do what I can to support. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure listening to you all these years. Um, and so I just wanted to say thanks for that and uh, let you know that I you're directly, indirectly responsible for this show and the other podcast I do, <laughs> which is called Josh, Dan and Superman. So
1: <laughs> nice.
0: Well, all right. I will do my quick intro, and then we'll just get started talking about uh, Jason Snell, okay?
1: All right. Cool. Sounds great. (laughs) All
0: right.